0: Hello, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this episode, I'm joined by NHS Advanced Dietetic Clinical Practitioner, Claire Lewis. Claire heads up the Dietetic Department at Salisbury District Hospital, and she's the second dietitian in the NHS to assist gastroenterologists in the placement of gastrostomy feeding tubes. We'll discuss how she got to where she is today what her role involves as well as her hands-on approach in the management of complex tube feeding and total parenteral nutrition. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi Claire, thank you for joining us today. Could you perhaps begin by telling us a bit about yourself and, and your journey to where you got to today? Okay, yeah, thank you for inviting me, and
1: um, I'm looking forward to speaking to everyone. Um, so I went a slightly roundabout way to getting where I am today. Um, I'd originally wanted to do medicine, but then unfortunately uh, developed glandular fever uh, during my A-levels, followed by a sort of chronic fatigue. So I ended up changing what I was going to do, and um, I ended up studying nutrition and dietetics. Um, although I actually loved the course, um, I ended up actually being attracted by the city and ended up as a Lloyd's broker for a number of years. But I always hankered after nutrition and the medical world and eight years later, um, I was desperate to get back into dietetics. So um, at the time the BDA didn't run any retraining programs, but I organized my own retraining program and got back into dietetics. I'm absolutely now where I want to be with a job I really love, um, and I'm looking forward to telling you all about it today.
0: Definitely. And um, the role that you're in now is is an advanced dietetic practitioner. That might be a title that some of our listeners haven't heard of before. Can you explain what that title means and what your role involves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think
1: probably people are more um, uh, aware of advanced clinical practitioners. Um, Most of those tend to be nurses. Um, Some of them call themselves um, an advanced nurse practitioner. Um, And I'm very proud of being a dietitian um, and I felt I wanted that to be clear in my title. Um, So I I changed my title to Advanced Dietetic Practitioner just to make it clear that I was a dietitian um, rather than um, a nurse. Um, So what does my role involve? Um, Well, it is a more practical role probably than than most dietitians do. so I, um, I do prescribe um, the, so I'm on the nutrition team at, at, at Salisbury Hospital, and so I prescribe the, um, the TPN, um, but I also um, uh, change gastrostomies, um I put in NG tubes, I put in nasal bridles, um, I would measure for low profile devices if that's what they wanted. Um, And then in the last three years, um, I've actually been assisting um, the gastroenterologist to put in PEG tubes in endoscopy. Um, And I've also now gone on to helping with the placement of jejunal extensions through PEGs, complex NG tubes, um, and also got involved in the removal of PEG tubes.
0: Brilliant. So we're going to deep dive into some of these different feeding tubes that you're involved with and and how you um, help the gastroenterologist with those tubes. Before we do, some of our listeners might not work in acute settings or may not be particularly familiar with tube feeding. Could you give us a really quick and simple overview of the different types of feeding tubes that dietitians are are likely to encounter in clinical practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, probably the most common tubes that dietitians will be associated with are the nasogastric tubes. So that's a fine ball tube that goes up through the nose into the stomach. Um, and they tend to be used um, as, as temporary tubes um, to give people extra nutrition while they're in hospital. Um, if you wanted a more permanent tube, um, then people would tend to get um, a peg place, which stands for percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy. Um, and basically that is a tube which is held, um, uh, which is placed into the stum- stomach and held in place with a bumper. Um, and I can tell you a bit more about how we place those peg tubes later. Um, other tubes might include nasogreginal tube. So again, that's a spine tube, which is put up through the nose and ends up, ends up down in the jejunum. Um, and there may be many reasons why you wanted to naso feed a patient. Um, maybe they might be at high risk of aspiration. They might have pancreatitis. They may have had a gastrectomy. There's, there's lots of reasons why, why people might um, require a naso tube. Of course, gastroparesis, when your stomach doesn't empty, is another really important um, reason why you might have a naso tube. Other common tubes are rigs, that's radiologically inserted gastrostomies and then normally inserted um, by the interventional radiologists in radiology. Um, and then you can have um, jejunal extensions to peg tubes, you can have surgical jejunostomy tubes, but probably the two most common um, tubes that are used are the nasogastric tubes and the peg tubes, I would say.
0: Claire, I'm really interested to hear if dietitians get much hands-on experience with these types of feeding tubes. I know you mentioned previously it's um, an important part of student dietetic training in your hospital. Do dietitians generally get much hands-on practice?
1: Um, I think it's very, very dependent on the particular department. Um, but I think it is becoming more and more common for, for dietitians to extend their role. Um, it's being really encouraged by the BDA. Um, and funnily enough, I've had two calls um, from, uh, from two other hospitals in the local area in the last two weeks um, with dietitians who are looking to, um, to, to get a, an advanced clinical practitioner or advanced dietetic practitioner role in their departments. Um, so, whereas when I actually um, did the business case for me to assist um, gastroenterologists to put in pegs, there was just this one other dietitian in Sheffield um, that was actually doing this role
0: why do you think there are so few dietitians working in this role?
1: Um, I think traditionally, dietitians haven't been so involved in the tube side. They've tended to be just Im- involved in the feed side. Um, I very much feel that uh, you know how you get the um the feed into the patient is just as important really as prescribing the feed. So I've always been very um very involved in what what uh, type of tube um, a patient has. Um, I think it probably depends on what um, what setup your hospital has. So for example, if you have got a big um, nutrition nurse department, they might sort of take that side of things. Um, In Salisbury, actually, we don't have nutrition nurses. um, So that's probably why um, we sort of took over that role. Um, But I think everyone that works um, in our department, you know, agrees by having this very good knowledge of tubes um, and being uh, always involved in the decisions about what type of tube a patient has. I think it, it vastly raises the profile of our dietetic department. Um, I mean, certainly in our hospital, nobody would consider putting in a tube without discussing it with the the dietetic department. Even the surgeons will come to me and say, what tube do you think we should put in this patient and discuss it with me? The gastroenterologist will always discuss it with me. So I think that it increases the profile of dietitians um, and and makes us more indispensable really, because if they want to artificially feed a patient, they need our advice and they need our help. So uh, I think it's a very good way of extending roles for dietetics.
0: You mentioned earlier you had to put together a business case to justify this new role. And and at the moment, there's only a handful of dietitians working in this role in the country. So can you talk me through how you ended up creating this role for yourself? What was the process?
1: Okay, so it started probably about 20 years ago. Um, And um, at this time, um, I was working in the home enteral feeding service and when we had patients who had balloon retained gastrostomies and they needed changing, I had to get one of the gastroenterologists to actually change the tube. This was pre the uh, feed nurses sort of doing a lot of changes in the community. Um, And the gastroenterologist said, Claire, why, why are you asking me to do this? You could easily do this. Um, So he trained me to do the tubes um, and at that time I was probably one of the very few dietitians in the country that actually was changing tubes in the community. Um, The the peg insertion started a bit later um, and developed from the fact that quite often um, pegs would be listed and there would be a main gastroenterologist who was running the list um, and often there was a struggle to find the second person to come and actually assist Putting in the peg. So, pegs, um, the JAG, JAG um, endoscopy um, rules are that two, uh, two operators have to put in a peg. Um, so, you have one at one end who uses the endoscope, and then you have the other operator who actually does the incision and everything in at the bottom end. Um, and this became quite an issue. Um, patients were delayed. There was even a couple of cancellations where um, patients had to have their peg cancelled because there wasn't a second operator. So normally a second operator would be a gastroenterologist or a registrar or some other doctor um, who was trained. Um, and again, the gastroenterologist said, Claire, you, you know, why can't you assist me doing this? You could do this. Um, so actually one day I gave it a go. This is a little bit under the radar, really, just to see whether I could do it because obviously it involves with actually um, doing an incision in the patient, giving local anaesthetic, none of which as a dietitian, I'd really been exposed to. But actually I did it and I thought, yeah, I can do this. Um, It took me about 18 months from first sort of deciding that this is what I wanted to do before I actually got um, uh, to to doing pegs. And I've now been doing it for about three years and I must have put in sort of over 200 pegs. Um, Initially, some nurses actually had applied for an extended role to help the gastroenterologist put in pegs and they were turned down. So when I initially, Uh, put in the business case, I was a little bit cautiously um, optimistic because I was a little bit worried that I would also be turned down. But in fact, um, I got very good support from gastroenterologists. Um, There was also uh, Professor David Saunders up in um, Sheffield, who's very pro dietetics and extended role. And he ended up actually writing an email to my clinical director supporting um, dietitians in, in the role of assisting gastroenterologists. Uh, The BDA were also really supportive as well on the insurance side, the governance side. Um, But there were quite a lot of little hurdles I had to get over. Things like the medicine policy had to be changed because it didn't include dietitians actually giving local anaesthetic. There were times I thought about giving up, but I didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't because 18 months down the line, there I was in endoscopy with the gastroenterologist, You know, giving the local anaesthetic, doing the incision, inserting the peg. Um, And it's a really rewarding job. Um, I think um, in my situation, I also do the peg assessments um, as part of my um, role. So it's real good, it's very good continuity from the patients because I do the assessment, I can tell them um, all about the procedure from first hand. I'm then there um, at the the procedure and obviously if they have said they were particularly nervous or there's um, some particular um, uh, fact that they wanted me to to tell the team, I'm obviously able to do that. And I think it helps them also to have a familiar face in endoscopy with them um, when they have the peg put in. I also then follow them up afterwards, check the fixation plate isn't too tight, check they haven't had any pain or bleeding following the procedure. Um, and then, obviously, I will I will hand them over to one of the home enteral feeding teams or back to the ward staff. Um, but I think um, I, I do think that patients have appreciated, you know, having one person to follow them right through their peg journey, um, and it has, you know, it has helped them.
0: So, just going back to the procedure itself, um, you mentioned giving local anaesthetic. Are you the person that's making the incision? Do you have who's assisting you? Is it a fellow gastroenterologist? Is it a nurse? Um, what's your role right. in that okay. clinical procedure? Well, normally,
1: in the when you're putting in a peg, we normally have uh, four people in the room. So there will be the gastroenterologist, and he will um, he will be sort of in charge of the endoscope. Um, the nurses are in charge of obviously monitoring the patient um, uh, and um, assisting the gastroenterologist. You know, keeping the mouth guard on, things like that. So just to run through with what happens when a peg is put in. Um, The uh, patient will have a a mouth guard um, put in. Um, The the gastroenterologist then puts the endoscope down into the stomach, has a good old sort of look around, has a look into the duodenum, comes back again. Meanwhile, I will be um, uh, sterilizing the abdomen um, and getting getting the abdomen ready um, for actually putting in the peg. Um, the gastroenterologist will then blow up the um, blow up the stomach with air. Now, this is a really important safety procedure because by blowing up the stomach with air, you push away bits of bowel or spleen or liver that might be in the way when you're actually going to put in the peg. Um, he then finds the bottom of the stomach um, and shines a bright light, which you are then able to see on the abdomen. So I would then, um, uh, push my finger down on the red light so he can see, we can see that it is in the right place in the stomach. Um, at that point, um, I would then um, give some local, anest- local anesthetic. So we use 2% lidocaine. Um, I then um, use what we call the green needle test. Um, so at the spot that we've decided is the correct spot for putting the peg in, um, I push the needle um into the abdomen, but all the time I will be aspirating so that if I was to go into a bit of bowel, I'll obviously get uh, feces in the, in the syringe. If, I'm to, if I was to go into a blood vessel, I'd get blood into the um, syringe. So I very carefully aspirate while putting the, the needle into the abdomen. You then see the tip on the screen appearing in the stomach. Now, a green needle is only about um, uh, uh, five centimeters long, um no, it's not, sorry, it's about three inches long, sorry, I beg your pardon. Um, and what that means is that um if it if it's that short, you shouldn't have gone and you can see the tip in the stomach, it's unlikely that you will then have gone through any of the other organs. So we, we call it the green needle test, and it's really to make um to make sure that it's just a very short distance from the outside um of the abdomen into the stomach. Um Once we've seen that the the, the tip of the uh, the syringe has gone in, we pull out the syringe, and then I will do a very small incision. It's about um, a centimetre long um, and a few millimetres deep, cutting through the skin. We then use a trocar, which is like a thin metal tube with a very sharp end. I then put the um, syringe um, onto the trocar, and again, go down through the incision into the stomach all the time, aspirating to make sure that I'm not going through anything prior to getting into the stomach. Once the trocar is in a good position in the stomach, we then pop a bit of string through the trocar. That's taken out by the endoscope out of the patient's mouth. Sounds a bit of an odd situation. So you've got a bit of string through the trocar in the stomach and the other bit of string out through the patient's mouth. We then attach the peg tube to that bit of string and then I press down hard on the abdomen while pulling the bit of string and then out comes the, uh, the peg tube and then we're able to put on the fixation plate, the peg end um, etc.
0: So how long does that procedure
1: take in general? Well we've got quite a, quite a good thing going now. I would say in, in, a, in a thin patient um, the actual, um, actual peg procedure probably only takes us a few minutes um, it can take longer if the patient's overweight because sometimes it's very difficult to see the transillumination, to see the light that's shining in the stomach if there's a lot of fat um, under the skin. Um, and some patients' stomachs can be a little bit difficult to find. But, uh, but to be honest, a straightforward PEG will actually only take us um, a few minutes. So it's, it's, really, it's quite an easy procedure, but obviously there are lots of risks in placing a PEG. Um, And I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, if I did anything wrong, um, I could really, um, you know, really hurt the patient. Um, But I'm well trained. um, I'm, you know, I am always with a gastroenterologist and having done sort of nearly 200 of them, I feel I do know, know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you what support you have available, because it is obviously an area that is associated with some risk, as with any surgical procedure. So do you have a good support team in place in this role? Um, yes, absolutely.
1: Um, I mainly work with one particular gastroenterologist. Um, but um, but I have worked with lots of other gastroenterologists. I've also worked with, um, with a general surgeon as well, um, obviously um, I'm always with with a trained person Um, and like all these things I think you're training you're training all the time Um, and yeah so I feel I I, I do have good support absolutely Um, I've got some good people behind me.
0: And how was your new role received by allied healthcare professionals um, such as the surgeons and, and the gastroenterologists it sounds like they've been incredibly supportive of this role they have been incredibly supportive, um, yes. Um, I mean, I guess you could sort of think,
1: well, maybe gastroenterologists think you're taking over their role or, or something like that, but that hasn't been the case. Um, I did have one local gastroenterologist who initially was a little bit dubious about actually placing a peg with a, um, you know, advanced dietetic practitioner rather than placing a peg with another doctor um however he did agree to do one with me and I think it went extremely well and so now he's absolutely fine with doing it with people so I think there is a little bit perhaps of resistance to dietitians doing this role well, only because we haven't you know they may not have come across dietitians who've done it um but I have had absolutely full support um uh, from from everyone that I've I've been doing it with um and I said I think in other hospitals they are now coming round to this idea, because I've said I've had two people um, ringing in the last two weeks um, to discuss um, business plans. They have similar business plans that they have for their hospitals.
0: Claire, I was wondering if you have any advice to other dietitians, especially those listening to this podcast, who might be interested in a role as an advanced dietetic practitioner. Is there any training they need to do and how do they go about having those discussions with their dietetic department? Yeah, well, I've had a couple of people
1: in the last uh, two weeks um, from separate hospitals who um, uh, are interested in um, creating a similar role um, in their trusts. Um, So I've been able to chat to them on the phone about my journey of getting there. I've shared with them my business plans, my competency documents. Um, my competency documents for my staff at Salisbury District Hospital for, uh, for, you know, right down from advanced and rotating a tube, changing water um, in a balloon up to changing gastrostomies um, and jejunostomies. So um, I'm really happy to share all that. I'm really keen that um, an extended role does expand throughout the country and that as dietitians, we can show people, you know, we don't just, prescribe supplements and do feeding regimes, but actually we can be involved in the whole area of, of enteral feeding. Um, can And I really feel that we are the best people to assess a patient, decide what tube they need. We know not what nutrition they need. Um, and I think we should be involved in what, what tube they need as well. But anybody um, who is interested um, in, in a similar role, I'm really happy to, to speak to them and, you know, tell them where I how I got there and share all my my documents etc
0: that's really kind and um hopefully you'll be happy for us to share your email address in the show notes so if anyone wants to get in touch they can
1: yes absolutely
0: brilliant thank you um I wanted to ask you obviously we've talked a lot about the benefits and and what you enjoy about this role but are there any main challenges that you've experienced in this role
1: I think, well, I think getting people to accept that a dietitian can assist gastroenterologists to put in pegs, etc. I mean, on the whole, I've had really, really good support. But as I said, I've had the odd person who's sort of looked a bit confused as to, you know, why a dietitian's doing that role and feels it ought to just be a doctor. Um, What other challenges have I had? Um, I mean, it did you know it obviously did take a while to get through the business case and convince everyone, even in my own hospital, with a lot of support that that I was the right person to do this this role. So I think you know you will need a bit of perseverance because you do have to change change people's attitudes or people's um stereotypes of what they think a dietitian um can do. But if you can get there, it reaps benefits. It really, um, uh, I think, increases the status of, of dietet- dietetics in a hospital um, if you can expand your role and be, um, you know, be advised for anything to do with with enteral feeding.
0: And do the BDA offer any um, information on this, or do they have a specialist group, for example, that you'd recommend joining? Um, I don't think they have got a specialist
1: group at the moment um, just for extended role. I mean, I imagine in the future that that, that might be the case. Um, I mean, I think um, obviously home entral, a lot of home enteral feeding dietitians do now change tubes. Um, so I suspect that they would also have a lot of advice um, and competency documents, etc., on changing tubes. I think because actually putting in peg tubes is such a new area, um, I don't think the BDA have anything on that at the moment Um, but as I say I'm very happy to share what I've got and I think you know in five years time I don't think there'll be two of us I think there'll be quite a few
0: more. And that leads me on nicely to my final question which is what do you think the future holds for dietitians in terms of being involved with with medical procedures? Um, Well I think (laughs) I think the world's your oyster
1: I mean I think um, you know, uh, 20 years ago, when I was one of the first to change um, change balloon retained gastrostomies, I definitely didn't think at the time that I would be changing peg tubes. Um, I mean, sorry, putting in peg tubes. Um, I also help with quite a few other procedures in endoscopy if they're nutrition related. Um, so I don't know. It's difficult to say. Um the, the guy in Sheffield who puts in pegs, he also puts in other types of feeding tubes um, using, uh, using radiology. So he has, um, he's extended his role even further in that respect. So I, I think it's an area, um, you know, tubes are about nutrition. Nutrition is about dietetics. I think it is a role where in the future we will be much more involved um, uh, with tubes um, in a greater area.
0: Well, I think this offers a really exciting opportunity for the profession as we move forward. And I have certainly found it very um, insightful and inspiring listening to you talk, Claire. So I'd like to thank you on on behalf of Dietitian Cafe for participating today. And uh, we hope our listeners found this interesting. And um, of course, we'll link to Claire's email in the show notes. If you do have any questions on this area, then Claire will be happy to chat to you. Um, Thank you very much, Claire, for joining us. Well, thank you for
1: inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.